This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for everybody for listening. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Man, do we have a lot to discuss, great uh, guests to discuss it with. Maria Bartiromo on the impact of this infrastructure plan should have passed the house of $1.1 trillion and $3.5 trillion that is queued up in the blueprint okayed unbelievably without any Republican support. And what about her big interview with Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan on Sunday? Maria Bartiromo live and Derek Van Orden with us. Not only to respect Derek for his great service to our country as a Navy SEAL, he got within a percentage point of beating Ron Kine for a senator's congressional seat in Wisconsin on a first run. And now it looks like yesterday, late uh, Congressman Ron Kine says, I will not run for re-election. Therefore, at this moment, Derek Van Orden unopposed. When only five seats separate Republicans and Democrats in the House, this is a big deal. Derek Van Orden on that and Afghanistan are terrible withdrawal, are watching the Taliban take back a country, torture and enslave women, some burning alive as they set their eyes on Kabul, where there happens to be an all-girls school. What might those women be thinking of right now? Derek Van Orden from his time in Afghanistan and beyond. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Fabric, the easiest way to get affordable life insurance. Learn how to protect your family against the unexpected at meetfabric.com slash Brian. Number three. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I know people must like to have their individual freedom and not be told to do something. But I think we're in such a serious situation now that under certain circumstances, mandates should be done. Really? So serious? We've been through this before. Dr. Fauci, why does anybody listen to him? The variant that's dividing America again is mass mandates, vaccine demands at the workplace, caused an arguing debate around the country and around the world, even in the police state where it was created, China. Number two. We are moving on to a second track which will make generational transformation in these areas. Once this bill is complete, the Senate will immediately turn to the second track in our two-track strategy. Yeah, two-track strategy. It's called the Bernie Sanders agenda that America re, 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 uh, actually Democrats repelled from, but now we're going to have to swallow. Infrastructure deal done, but not just one. Senate Dems passed a $3.5 trillion budget resolution blueprint with no Republican votes, nor were they attempted. While the first bill is debatable, the second is flat-out destructive and devastating when it comes to taxes, spending, and the American dream. Number one. New York tough means New York loving. And I love New York. The best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore, that's what I'll do. Governor Andrew Cuomo goes down big time. Stunning. The media darling and celebrity heartthrob leaves the governor's mansion in disgrace. The details, the trouble that remains, and his comeback, which I believe is already in the works. 
We know about the 11 accusers. We know about the nursing home scandal. We know about the deflation of numbers and the lying about the totals. We also know about him using government funds, allegations in some cases, uh, using uh, government resources to write his book. They never should have written, got $5 million for. And we also know about the special privileges his family, friends, and donors got when it came to the pandemic when tests were so scarce and information was even scarcer. So all these scandals are, are, are milling about. He had no options. Yesterday, he resigned. He resigned, but first he had his lawyer go up there and tell, talk about all his 11 accusers and one by one take them apart and essentially say it's misunderstandings. Here's a little of Rita Glavin, who must have gotten paid well for this. Just an idea of some of the excuses that you may have missed had you have a job or you had a job that made you go to work at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Cut eight. If the governor may have touched her rear end while he's got his arm around the supervisor and this woman at a public event, he certainly did not mean to do it uh, in a way that was sexual. Uh, He takes thousands of pictures. Right. And he touches a lot of rear ends all by mistake. Congratulations. If someone's getting me out of trouble by saying if I mistakenly grabbed your rear end, I think I need a new lawyer, but that's just me. More from Rita Glavin. As she called, this is amazing about Governor Cuomo, is that most Democrats hate him. He fights with every Democrat, including powerful Democrats, not named Clinton, even though his dad and Clinton's famously uh, didn't get along. So Rita Glavin takes out Schumer, who took him out. He said he should have resigned. Pelosi said he should have resigned. Biden said he should have resigned. So what does he do? He calls his press conference right when Joe Biden is about to take a bow and claim credit for the $1.1 trillion infrastructure plan, he goes ahead and sensationally, gradually resigns while reciting his resume and telling everyone they're wrong to accuse him of doing anything. He's just 63 and out of date and out of step. More from her. Cut nine. I want to talk about Caitlin. During the time that she worked for him, he did banter with her. He did ask her about her life. That is something he routinely does with his staff members. What's going on? Are you married? Do you have kids? Are you dating anybody? That's something Senator Schumer asks his staff. (laughs) It's normal when you're working closely with people in political environments that are high pressure to learn about their lives. He did not mean to make her feel uncomfortable. Right. Okay. A couple of things. What are you bringing him up for? What does he have to do with anything? I'm not a Senator Schumer apologist or defender. What are you bringing that up for? If you didn't act so boorishly, if you didn't raise taxes despite getting billions of dollars from the government thanks to Senator Schumer, if you didn't vilify him for years, then maybe he wouldn't have quickly said you should resign. But everybody said you should resign. And I, just real quick, I don't want to spend the whole time on Governor Cuomo because you've seen a lot of this already. And many of you are th- – to your, much your, you should be very happy about this. You live outside New York. So here he is gradually resigning. Cut one. In a highly political matter like this, there are many agendas and there are many motivations at play. If anyone thought otherwise, they would be naive government needs to perform. It is a matter of life and death, government operations. And wasting energy on distractions is the last thing that state government should be doing. The best way I can help now 
is if I step aside, and therefore that's what I'll do. Because I work for you. And doing the right thing is doing the right thing for you. That is not true. So disingenuous. He says basically I'll leave because it's a toxic attitude. That's what Alec Baldwin tweeted out in support of Governor Cuomo that's this tragic day. But he wouldn't sign legislation. He wouldn't condemn Justice Kavanaugh for stuff that some accuser from 11th grade, this guy's in his 50s or 60s, from 11th grade he had an accuser and Governor Cuomo says we believe all women. But he's got accusers who still work for him and we're not supposed to believe any of the women. That's what he says. Sorry, I make bad jokes. And that pales in comparison to the nursing homes. And I do wonder about the timing because all these these accusers were out here until Donald Trump lost the election. I heard what Tucker Carlson said last night. I'm taking it into account. But he's done so much wrong. He's been such a terrible governor. I, I look forward to days without him. My hope is people start governing what's in the best interest of their state, not their party. Next. Just to put it in perspective, why I believe that this guy is coming back, Chuck Todd, um, I think, ham-handedly said exactly what I said. You don't have your lawyer come out first, speak for 20 minutes, resign, and then speak for another 15 minutes, then take 14 days and not think there's going to be another chapter of your career. Chuck Todd, who's being eviscerated for saying this, cut 16. His career was either permanently over or almost permanently over, and he chose the path of almost permanently over. Right. The resignation gives him, you know, we know the way our world works. Um, It's amazing. The people we've seen make political comebacks. Uh, You know, you can't ever rule it out on this move. He actually helped the party and put the party before himself. Look, I expect in my lifetime, Andrew Cuomo to probably run for office again. How did he put the party before himself? Put the party before himself. He has basically given the issue of sexual discrimination and sexual harassment back to Republicans. No longer can Democrats say, look at these good Republicans. How dare they say out of step? How do they not understand that women's rights and equality matter? When you actually have uh, people like Senator Al Franken, now uh, Conyers, and then somebody like Governor Cuomo acting the way they act and have to leave the way they left. So you might have missed it at four in the morning unless you have my hours uh, there was a blueprint passed of $2.3 trillion on a pure party line vote, actually 50 to 49. Mike Rounds wasn't there, but it doesn't matter, of passing $2.3 billion, uh, trillion, dollars, trillion dollars that's going to provide, if passed, free preschool, uh, free elder care, expand Medicare, free college, but put a green agenda forward that AOC would make her blush. Uh, you also have free school lunches. And what else do we have? Tons of infra- tons of stuff that you probably can't print on enough pages. Thankfully, Joe Manchin has come out in the last hour and said, I'm not going to be going along with this. It's too rich. Uh, and so does Kirsten Cinema. But it's still going to be extra trillions of dollars and just to help a party, not to help a country. And it's going to be on the books, make it almost impossible or radioactive for a politician to rescind. But they'll have to. A responsible one will have to. Well, we've already seen the Biden agenda. We're acting like this is the Great Recession or Great Depression. And it's not. We have unemployment closer to four than five, closer to five than six, I should say. We have 10 million open jobs. We have an economy that grew at a staggering rate for the GDP as we get back online. And now you're acting like we're in a panic, printing money we can't afford, inflation that we can't counteract with wages because the devalue of the dollar 
is really alarming. So the $2.3 trillion is passed. The $1.1 trillion was worthy of a debate. As people have said in the past, a negotiation, you don't get everything you want. The question is, do Republicans get enough? Kevin Kramer on that from North Dakota, Cut 25. Are there some things that Democrats like? For sure. Are there some things missing that we would love? Of course there are. But this is a 50-50 Senate. Democrats have a majority in the House and the White House. So you're going to have to you know, take some of those things to get all the other really good things. We'll talk more about this. And I want to get your take. And you can write me, BrianKillMe.com. Just click on, uh, click on comments. And then you just call 1-866-408-7669. By the way, I'll be on the 5 tonight if you haven't had enough of me. And you can watch me right now on Fox Nation. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Navy SEAL Derek Van Orden next. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show we spent over a trillion dollars over 20 years we trained and equipped with modern equipment over 300,000 afghan forces and afghan leaders have to come together we lost thousands lost death and injury Thousands of American personnel. As more provinces fall to the Taliban in a way no one expected, very few expected, maybe one guy did. Derek Van Orden, Republican candidate for the Wisconsin 3rd District, retired Navy SEAL. Uh, Derek, the President of the United States bucked almost all his advisors and pulled out everybody. They're all gone by August 30th. The Taliban taking back the country. Is that okay with you? Well, uh, not to sound like a politician, but that's a real nuanced thing. You know, we, we spent over 20 years. I did uh, two full tours and a couple of short tours in Afghanistan. I've lost friends there, including Extortion 17, the guys that were killed. That we just had that anniversary. So yeah, we shouldn't. We should not have a huge presence in in Afghanistan for sure. But how we left the country 
is an embarrassment. We were abandoning the yep. interpreters and other people that helped us, and that's just shameful. We cannot do that as Americans. So, yeah, yes, we, we need to leave that country, but we should have left it in a much more organized fashion to make sure that everybody knows when they help the United States of America that we're going to be there for you. Derek Van Orden, you're not done serving the country. Uh, you ran almost one, uh, the third district in Wisconsin, and now you're running again, and you're the current holder of that seat. Congressman Ron Kind announced yesterday he will not compete. He'd be competing for reelection. What does that mean for your candidacy? To me, it means nothing, man. I'm a retired Navy SEAL, and I, I was running against Nancy Pelosi's radical leftist agenda. That's and Ron Kind happened to be in the way. So we, uh, the campaign that I'm running is to make sure that people can fill up their gas tank and buy groceries on the same day. With the inflation that's taking place now with all this radical spending that's uh, taking place in the White House or the uh, House of Representatives, that absolutely has to stop. We've got to secure our borders because without a border, you don't have a nation. And we sure as heck need to make sure that we stop this 100-yard dash into socialism that we're at right now. So Ron Kind, yep, he was in for, uh, in office. It'll be for 26 years. That's the same amount of time I did in the Navy. But he represented Nancy Pelosi's radical leftist agenda. And stand by, Nancy Pelosi is going to handpick another candidate to stick in that office for me to run against, but it doesn't matter. We have four children and six grandchildren. I was raised in abject rural poverty, and I'm going to fight for this, this country because we have to for our children and grandchildren. So Ron Kind being in the race – uh, it doesn't matter. He's now out. He's out. So whoever takes his place, it doesn't matter. We are doing this for our children, our grandchildren, and for the future of our nation. So what are you doing now? I understand the last quarter you raised $750,000, which is staggering, outpacing Ron Kind anyway. He says he's burnt out. He's done. So, Derek, how do you make up the gap, the small gap between winning and losing? Well, what I do is we keep doing what we have been doing, Brian. We, we get our message out to the American people in uh, South Central Wisconsin, the third district, and that's one of freedom, personal freedoms, personal uh, responsibility that takes charge. We want our kids to be in school full time uh, without all of these uh, conditions. We do not want to become uh, a socialist nation. We want to be able to afford consumer goods. So we just get out. And we, we keep telling the story. That is the best story in the history of the world, and that's the American dream, man. That's what I represent here, and people want to understand. They want someone to tell them that it's okay to love their country because we should. So I'm going to keep pressing every single day. My race started yesterday when Ron Kine decided not to run for reelection. So what we've proven so far, Brian, is that hard work pays off. That means that we work harder. And by the way, Derek, here's the other thing. If you guys worked harder and got your act together, not you, in Georgia, we would not be dealing with a $3.5 trillion. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dollar boondoggle. It's unbelievable. I mean, listen, we are no longer spending our children's money. We're not even spending our, our 
grandchildren's money. We're spending our great grandchildren's money. We're leveraging the future uh, for today. So what what the Democrats are doing? But to be super clear, Democrats understand that their agenda is so radical and so out of touch with what the American people want. Is right now they're setting up a series of things to buy votes in 2020. Yep. They're trying to pay people off. I asked Brian. I asked a woman who immigrated here legally from the Ukraine. Well, when it was part of the Soviet Union, I said, do me a favor. Tell me the difference between the United States of America in 2021 and the Soviet Union in 1975. Right now, you do not have to pay your rent. You don't. So that's free housing. You do not. They, they're paying you to stay at home and not work, and they give you extra money for food. And this woman looked me straight in the eye and said, in the Soviet Union, they didn't give you extra money for food. Wow. Derek Van Orden, uh, he's running for the 3rd District of Wisconsin. Best of luck, Derek. Go back in and take the Thank majority you. in the process. Roger that. Thank you, Brian. Maria Bartiromo next. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I happen to feel that, that this is not so much a, a matter of confusion as a matter of recognition of what's right for America. Because by being for this bill, even though there is a risk of some confusion, we do save about $500 billion for the American people and reduce the deficit over time by about $500 billion. That's Mitt Romney's reasoning about why he helped engineer the passage, at least of the Senate, uh, and got 19 other colleagues uh, to pass the $1.1 trillion infrastructure bill. There's good people. I've Senator Cassidy, Senator Mitt Romney, Senator Portman. Uh, we've all had them on before. They think this is a good thing for America. It's negotiated, didn't get everything they want, Senator, uh, Senator Braun. Okay. But um, many more Republicans don't. Maria Bartiromo was at the, right in the middle of uh, the fray, and she was taking on this issue on, on mornings with, uh, not on mornings with Maria, but on her Sunday show, Sunday Morning Futures. Maria, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Brian. Thanks very much for having me. Maria, it was one thing, I, you know, it's not unusual to see Republicans and Democrats say they're for infrastructure. So being that we're in a negotiated situation, should, and no one's supposed to get in there by nature of the word negotiating and bargaining, you don't get everything you want, should Republicans feel good at all about this bill? No, I think that the Republicans got rolled over once again by the Democrats. And the fact that the Republicans agreed to something where it's not paid for, the Committee for a Responsible Budget said that the infrastructure plan will add $400 billion to the deficit. That's according to the CBO and the Committee for a Responsible Budget. And the Republicans didn't get anything for it. I mean, the fact that they agreed and rolled over for this infrastructure plan without having even an acknowledgement from the Biden administration and from their Democrat colleagues that we have a massive crisis at the border is really uh, de devastating. I mean, it's disgusting. The fact that we can't even get an acknowledgement from the administration and the Democrat Party 
that there's a crisis at the border when you've actually had massive amounts of illegal drugs coming in, narcotics that are killing Americans. Do you know that we had 93,000 overdoses in America just in the last year, and that is largely due to fentanyl? The only way fentanyl gets into this country is through open borders. You've got the Chinese criminal cartels uh, working with the Mexican criminal cartels to get this drug into this country because the underlying chemicals in fentanyl are made in China, and they are teaming up with the Mexican cartels to get this drug in, not to mention the fact that it's up to the Mexican cartels on who gets into America. Let me repeat that. It's up to the Mexican criminal cartels to decide who gets into America. That is absurd. And they should have definitely demanded that there was some money put toward the border and there was some acknowledgement that we have a crisis and something needs to be done about it. 6,000 people are being apprehended every single day. Okay? Do the math. 210,000 people apprehended in the month of July, 1.1 million people apprehended year to date, and that does not even include the so-called gotaways. You've got tens of thousands of people seen on surveillance cameras this year just coming into the country, no problem, they don't even want to get apprehended, and then they go somewhere in the interior of our country. No wonder we've got crime spiking with wide-open borders and bad policy like uh, uh, bail reform in big cities like New York. Uh, triggering this crime. So I, I, I'm not impressed uh, with these 19 Republicans doing this for the one reason to say, to be able to say, oh, we can work together. How about the Democrats being able to say, we can work together? We understand there's a crisis at the border there's and we only, want to address it. There's Try only a handful that even want to, and that's one is Cassidy, one is Cinema. I really don't know anybody else that's even expressed a legitimate reason to work together. Here's what Senator Bill Cassidy said yesterday, cut 24. It's going to make people's lives safer. That $3.5 trillion, drive up inflation, drive up the debt, drive up taxes. And so we hate that one, but boy, we sure do love this one. It's good for jobs, good for quality of life, good for the economy. As one of my colleagues said, what's not to like? So the 3.5 trillion. Like? I'll tell you right now what's not to like. The fact that it's tied to the $3.5 trillion plant. That's what's not to like. The fact that they could agree to a shakedown. Nancy Pelosi was very clear. She's not moving a muscle on the infrastructure package until she knows that the three and a half trillion will pass. So that's what's not to like, Bill Cassidy. The fact that it's tied to the three and a half trillion and you should not have agreed to a shakedown. Three point five trillion. So everyone should know at four in the morning. They passed the blueprint for it. Uh, Some my good news is Senator Manchin said it's way too much money. I will not agree to that. Part of this bill is so astounding this parliamentarian is going to be the only one to stay between us and and democracy. She has to tell him, you cannot legalize 8 to 10 million illegals. That's part of this bill. She's got to tell him, you can't do voting infrastructure that shouldn't be part of this bill. And all this green agenda in the $3.5 trillion, I find astounding that they'd even try to pass it in this bill. And to show you how crazy it is, if it's not all included— the squad and others are not going to pass either bill in the House. How do you think this plays out? Well, I think this is mafia-like tactics. This is this is a shakedown. And by the way, we keep saying three and a half trillion dollars. That's not even true. Uh, we really need some honesty in Washington. The actual cost of this new legislation is ultimately going to depend heavily on details that have yet to be revealed. So the Committee for a Responsible Budget is uh, is expecting that this to cost between five and five and a half trillion over a decade because they this is assuming they make permanent some of these things in order to fit these proposals within a three and a half trillion dollar budget target 
lawmakers intended to have some policies expire before the end of the 10-year budget window, or you know when you give somebody something, you don't expire it after a few years. So it's not going to be expired. It's actually going to be much more expensive than $3.5 trillion, and our debt will soar as will inflation. It's impossible not to look back and think about the devastating effects of that Georgia election. They needed to win one of two seats, and we're not here right now. They need to win both seats, and we're not close to being here right now. It's Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And then you talk about taking the House and then uh, the White House in 24, but instead you have no, you have no lever of power. So it all That's happened fair. in Georgia, and they know their time is up. They know they're about to lose the House. Right. If we have free and fair elections, they're about to lose the House. I mean, the truth is, is at this point, they have no power. And all they can do is just talk, talk, talk and say what they don't like about things. But unfortunately, we need them to act. The American people need them to start recognizing that these policies are not what anybody voted for. I I would be hard-pressed to believe that the Democrats could win in 2022 on on just policy. It's I mean, what policy can you identify that's actually been good for the American people? Oh, Joe Biden's been. I don't think so. Yeah, he was getting high grades on the pandemic. Now the variant's back. He's totally unprepared for it. Then he has foreign policy that could not be worse. Look at Afghanistan. Who the heck could subscribe to this end to our stay in Afghanistan? And then you look at this, these passages of these bills with money we don't have. And the, and the, the Washington Post even calls him out on his terrible border policy that's left to brought 1.5 a uh, million people at least into this country illegally. The Washington Post. But I want to talk about China. You did a brilliant interview with Jamie Dimon. I would argue only you could do it because he he respects you. He's one of the most powerful, successful business people in the world right now. And he still has no qualms, it seems, about bringing his business to the enemy of this country whose who's uh, accounting cannot be trusted, whose business practices deserve to be vilified. Here's a little of this exchange, cut 49. The national security issue, I think, is real. When I said you're Jamie Dimon, I, I meant I know you for a long time. You're not in it just for the money. Or is it just about the money? No, of course not. I'm a patriot way before I worry about any money or anything like that uh, or about J.P. Morgan per se. But we, you, you should, should imagine that foreign policy of the United States is set by the government of the United States. If you start telling companies that they should be saying their own foreign policy, you're actually making a huge error for the United States. So he's saying to be a patriot is is to do business with China, when at one point we're going to need these CEOs to make the, the decision to understand that they are looking to take our technology, they are looking to take our wealth, and they got to make the decision that this doesn't look at the greatest profit. Don't you think they're taking the profit motive and banging us over the head with it? Yeah, I mean, look, China is a serious threat. And uh, unfortunately, you know, Jamie said to me, look, we've been working on getting into China for 30 years. I get that. 30 years ago, it was a very different CCP. The CCP is now run by Xi Jinping, who is modeling himself after Mao Zedong. So he has gone much more inward than any other leader of the CCP in the last 30 years. Don't forget, I mean, over the last 40 years, America and the free world tried to open up China, tried to work with China to try to let the CCP understand the impact of democracies and the impact of capital markets, free markets. And we all assume that, well, China would understand that there are great, great impacts to all of this, and maybe they'll come to the middle. 
that's not what happened. They've gone completely inward, and they have a stated goal over and over again to overtake the United States as the number one superpower. They are doing it through lying, stealing, and cheating, and they've been doing that for decades. The intellectual property theft is real. I have a stack of law settlements that, I, that I've been reading through of everybody from Microsoft to Cisco to Motorola who've sued CCP companies and settled uh, without them admitting to the IP theft. That's one thing. But there's so many others. I mean, they've used 2020 as an opportunity to gain more ground across the world. They invaded India and started fighting over the Himalayan mountains and killed several, uh, 20 soldiers at least. Then they invaded Hong Kong. And they threw their goose step police in there and said, oh, you know, the national security law is the law of Hong Kong. We're throwing all these freedom fighters in jail. Jimmy Lai, among them, he sits in a, in a uh, jail right now in, in Hong Kong. Self-made yeah, Hong Kong is a dark place. It's a dark place today. Where is the free world? Where is the G7? I'm pushing back on this behavior. Here's more from Diamond. Cut 50. I'd say about 15 years ago, the business community and the government should have started focusing on China, and we didn't. Not because we were bad, just that people were kind of happy. They thought that China would, get, you know, would, would change over time, and they didn't. And we should have focused on it, and now we are. So I think the right thing to do is they are a strategic competitor. Uh, they, they are you know, using unfair subsidies in some cases to try to win in global you know, markets and stuff like that. And we should have proper policies. We could do them unilaterally. They could do them unilaterally. I don't think you see a decoupling. I think you see, you've already seen most of a massive restructuring. I, I just don't say, I don't know, he's a, I don't do foreign policy. I'm going to have a J.P. Morgan in China, knowing that they have accounting that can't be trusted, and they have a government that runs everything. But if they're able to produce for the shareholders, he sees that as his only responsibility. And Maria, I just from, I've never done international business. I'll be the first to admit it. But morally, I think that's wrong. Don't call yourself a patriot and open up shop in China at this point. Right. Well, I mean, look, I don't even blame Jamie as much as I do others. I mean, you look at a, a company like BlackRock, who is investing all of so many of their clients' money into Chinese companies when we absolutely know that they do not have to adhere to U.S. standards. And by the way, where is the Securities and Exchange Commission? Where is the Treasury in terms of making sure that these companies adhere to Sarbanes-Oxley, the same laws that every other publicly traded company has to abide by? They don't have to. Why? Because the earnings aren't real. It's the CCP subsidizing these companies so that they could act as spy centers and steal intellectual property from, from American companies. So there's that. And, and then there's a company, you know, like uh, Bridgewater, Ray Dalio, who, you know, manages CCP money. I mean, these are some of the companies that we need to zero in and say, what are you doing? This is not a strategic competitor. This is a strategic adversary, an adversary that wants to replace the United States as the number one superpower. Look, you're right. The, the 1.4 billion people in China, that is the allure for companies like J.P. Morgan and, and, and many other financial services Nike. companies. They want to they sell credit cards to, every, to, to these 1.4 billion people. What they are missing is this is a honey trap. This is new from the CCP. This is a honey trap. Give licenses to the financial services industry of America so that they become lobbyists for the CCP to the administration. And by the way, where's Biden? So far, I see no policy whatsoever with any teeth pushing back on this uh, atrocity that is the CCP. Lastly, just uh, because we're a national show, you're in a national show, but you know New York and you know the financial centers. People think that Governor Cuomo's been good for this state. 
He has taken uh, the Indian nuclear power plant offline without a replacement. He has rejected hope for fracking that would have revitalized all of upstate New York. The billion, the Buffalo Project was a, uh, a multi-billion-dollar disaster that landed his key aide in jail. He uh, took a million billions of dollars from the federal government and still up taxes, and he left. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The wealth tax in place. Please tell me how he's been good for New York. Well, look, I think you make a lot of good points. He was no friend of the progressives, but he had his own ideas, Democrat ideas of running the state. And as a result, some bad policy created bad outcomes. There's no other. I mean, the worst outcome, in my view, is the is the bail reform. You know, to, to take yes. away cash bail. And then I had him on the show early 2020. I said, why would you do this? This is going to cause a spike in crime. He went on telling me about how, well, bail is good for rich, rich criminals, but it's not good for poor criminals. They don't have the money to pay bail, so we have to make it fair. No, 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 no. You cannot take bail out, and then all of a sudden you have a, a, a rapist get arrested, get processed, then he's back on the streets a few hours later. That is one of the key catalysts to the crime spikes that we've seen in New York. Unfortunately, Governor Cuomo was behind that, and it's a, it's a bad policy that created a bad outcome. I agree. Maria, uh, thanks so much. Appreciate the few minutes. I know this is one of your busiest times. We're writing all these uh, checks. We try to know what it's going to look like uh, for the national and international economy. Maria Bartiromer, you can see her on Fox Business uh, in the morning on FBN and, of course, uh, Sunday morning futures at 10 o'clock on Sunday. Thanks, Maria. Thank you. Hey, uh, when we come back, your call is 1-866-408-7669. Busy day. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I need to apologize to your viewers. I thought things would go to Hades when we left. I didn't realize they would go to Hades while we were still there. Uh, It's the most predictable uh, thing in a long time. Um, Afghanistan's going to Hades uh, because the U.S. is pulling out. No doubt about it. Uh, Senator Menendez says, I cannot believe, I understand you don't want to have a forever war plan. But is there a contingency plan? Because it looks as though the about eight major capitals of provinces have been lost. It looks like Kabul is being surrounded. We know that women have been burned alive because they exposed their hair. Others have been married off against their will, obviously, to Taliban fighters as they begin to encircle the capital of their country while shutting out escape hatches. 12,500 elite fighters are left, we know, at least in 
Afghanistan. We know they got militias that hate the Taliban. It's time to unite them for the, Joe Biden to realize that he's been had, that the Taliban have broken their agreement to deal honestly and fairly with the sitting government. Why anyone would believe that, I don't know. Ambassador Khalizad has been a total disaster. And you might be sick of this war, and that is fine. But guess what? It's in our interest to have a presence. We were not in a hot war to have a presence between China, between Russia, between Pakistan, and to make sure to make sure this fundamentalist regime does not come back because in comes ISIS, in comes Al Qaeda. David Ignatius knows the region. Cut 47. What does that mean in the streets? It means radio stations are shut down. It means that any radio station that plays music is forbidden to do so. It means that any women's voices on radio are banned in, in most of these uh, district capitals. It means people are, are frightened and are fleeing across borders to the north into Tajikistan, south into Pakistan. It means there is a sense of fear beginning to be panic in many of these Afghan cities. So it's a disaster. And Joe Biden bucked his advisors in doing it because he's been wrong about every major foreign policy decision throughout his entire career. That according to Bob Gates. It's true. Hey, uh, I'll be on tonight in the five. Also, if you want to see me on stage, you're in the Connecticut area, Asbury Park, the Paramount. Go to BrianKillMe.com. I'm on with Dana Perino. Go get tickets. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, so much going on was happening in Afghanistan, an absolute travesty. Uh, what is happening right now uh, happened at four in the morning. You probably missed it. Three point five trillion dollar blueprint has been let go and now will begin to be filled out by Democrats. Republicans all voted against it. It doesn't matter. That's what happens when you lose the Senate and the House. And the presidency, Jamie Metzl, on the origin of the pandemic, is coming up shortly. George Pataki, the last governor of New York to leave under his own power and not under scandal. The governor, George Pataki, on the exit of Governor Cuomo, which brings me to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I know people must like to have their individual freedom and not be told to do something but I think we're in such a serious situation now that under certain circumstances, mandates should be done. Exactly. So serious. Like we haven't been th- doing this for a year and a half. Why does anyone listen to Anthony Fauci? The variant that's dividing America, again, the mass mandate, vaccine demands at the workplace causes to the argue this out around the country and around the world, even in the police state where it was created, China. Number two. We are moving on to a second track which will make generational transformation in these areas. Once this bill is complete, the Senate will immediately turn to the second track in our two-track strategy. This is unbelievable. Infrastructure deal done. But not just one. Senate Dems passed the $3.5 trillion outline. While the first bill is debatable, the second is a flat-out destructive, devastating approach to up our taxes and spread out our spending and destroy the American dream. 
Number one. New York tough means New York loving. And I love New York. The best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. You think so? And therefore, that's what I'll do. Right. Goodbye. Uh, Down goes Cuomo. Stunning. The media darling, celebrity heartthrob, leaves the governor's mansion in disgrace. The details, the trouble that remains in his comeback, which I believe is already in the works. Uh, But the number one story in America, we could talk about different things that have different days in which their priority is the greatest, but nothing really matters more than this pandemic and where it started. It's hard to ignore the fact that guess who's experienced this variant? China, even though they lie about their numbers and only admit to 4,000 losing their lives, they're now jailing people for allowing this variant to take root in China in so many different provinces. Do you believe this? Jamie Metzl probably does, a member of the WHO Advisory Committee, senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and former national security official in the Clinton administration. Uh, Jamie, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Happy to be with you. First, some defining words. What's your take on this variant? Many are pointing to how the Delta variant uh, fell off a cliff in India, thankfully, and in the U.K., and say in about two weeks that'll be the case here. Do you believe that? Um, Probably, because these viruses, they have natural rhythms, and so they get better and worse, and that's why we talk about about waves. We should still be very, very concerned about the Delta variant. It's far more transmissible. The death rates, particularly for unvaccinated people, are, are dangerously high. But I do think that it will get better, and nobody really understands why. But it's something about the rhythm of how this virus is burning through populations, and not all of us are equally susceptible to it. Um, so I, I think it's quite likely that we'll see a drop. But that doesn't mean it's a drop forever. It just means that it's a drop for now. And as long as we do all the right things and, and everybody gets vaccinated and we have the precautions and people are careful with social distancing and masks, masks hopefully we can continue. Uh, we'll get good news and, and, and continue it. Absolutely. So uh, look at this uh, variant in particular. I guess you were not surprised to see this story that in China there are arresting officials that allowed the variant to, they say, spread arresting officials for allowing this to spread? Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of pressure on these government uh, officials, and it's it's really tough because they have to try to do the right thing, um, but they're always under threat. And so most of the time, Chinese officials... Are, are basically pressurized to sweep everything under the, un, under the carpet. I mean, it's, they have a, a dysfunctional system in many ways, but they have an authoritarian system that allows the authorities to make big, fast decisions. And, and we're seeing a lot of the pathologies of what went wrong in China, not just for things that are happening in China. Uh, but as you know, Brian, uh, and I know you share this view, there are real questions about how this pandemic started. And so all of the suffering that we're experiencing in the United States and around the world are in many ways, is in many ways connected to the dangerous pathologies of the Chinese state. Yeah, 31 provinces have, uh, have infections right now. China's punished more than 40 local officials for that, 47 to be total. In the capital of Jingzhou, I'm sure I mispronounced that, uh, 15 officials were held accountable for allowing infections to spread uh, at an airport, that according to a statement. So they, they just immediately set, you know, actually quarantine people against their will sometimes. And now they are jailing officials for allowing something to spread, which they may have started. 
a person joining and may have never left your your side of this argument that the origin was there and it was a lab leak, intentional or not, is Robert Redfield. He was on with Martha McCallum yesterday. Listen to this. We have seen growing evidence to support that this uh, uh, this in fact was uh, a consequence of a laboratory leak. So I continue to believe of the two hypotheses that the laboratory leak is the most uh, likely origin of this virus. It's in a way tragic because uh, you would then say that this pandemic was caused in a way by science, uh, not necessarily by nature. And I think I'm very dis disheartened when I've seen how the scientific community uh, failed to approach both hypotheses with an open mind. I mean, I was very rapidly sidelined, uh, threatened, and, uh, you know, really put on uh, sort of outed because somehow I believed as a virologist that this virus may have come from the laboratory. Jamie, that's the CDC director. Yep. I mean, I agree with every. I agree with everything he said. Um, I think that we don't know for sure the origins of the uh, of the pandemic, but I've said from very early on, it seems more likely than not it comes from a lab incident. Um, uh, I know Brian, you and many of your listeners are uh, conservatives. I'm a, a progressive Democrat. I've been also saying since day one this is really serious. It, it probably, I would say. Uh, but even you could say possibly uh, comes from a lab. We need to be seriously examining both hypotheses, uh, the mainstream media, the science journals. For all of last year, really in many ways um, prevented uh, and, and, uh, or at least avoided that kind of serious consideration. It's great that we're doing it now. We're in the middle of the – toward the end of the 90-day uh, intelligence review that President Biden has mandated – and we need to be doing everything possible to get to the bottom of the origins question. And China is doing everything possible to prevent that. And that's why we need to, to push with everything we've got, both the United States government and our allies and partners around the world. Jamie, uh, I don't see it happening. Do you see, do you see enough out of the Biden administration to make you think that they feel the urgency that you feel and, and concluded what you've concluded? So I don't know the answer to that question, but this full 90-day intelligence review is something that our government has never done. In spite of what President Trump was saying last year about the origins of the pandemic, no intelligence review of this magnitude uh, was ever authorized uh, until, until now. So that's certainly very positive. But then the question is, well, what happens um, when this report comes out, which will probably be at the end of this month or at, at the latest, the beginning of uh, September. And that'll be the real moment. How far do we push? I was at the United States uh, Senate uh, last week, and I was uh, giving a briefing organized by Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas and Kirsten Gillibrand from uh, New York. And <clears throat> what I said, well, here are the next steps. Nationally, uh, we need to continue the Biden intelligence review beyond the 90 days. We need to establish a bipartisan national COVID commission looking at many things, including origins. Internationally, we need to support uh, Dr. Tedros, the WHO uh, chief, who has called for a full examination of origins in China and a full audit of the Wuhan labs. But we also need to set up a parallel, an alternate uh, international investigation through another some other mechanism other than the WHO, where China doesn't have veto power, because one thing has to be absolutely clear, we cannot give China a veto over whether or not 
we fully investigate the origins of the worst pandemic in a century. WHO needs $7.7 billion to help poorer nations survive the Delta COVID variant. Uh, they really don't, uh, you know, they're not their own entity. They need, they need global funding. Would you yep. give it to them? Are they the ones that know how to get this vaccine to these underdeveloped nations? Yeah, 100% yes. The WHO is not perfect. There are all kinds of, of shortcomings. Uh, we saw that in the earliest days of the pandemic, where many of us had wished the WHO could have been more forceful. Um, and the WHO is, is governed by its states, and that cr- creates a lot of, of problems. But if we didn't have the WHO, we would need to invent it. So we need the WHO. The job of getting the entire world vaccinated is a huge one. Um, and we need this is an all hands on deck moment. We also uh, and the United States should be leading in this need to, to recognize that the world, the global public health system is woefully insufficient and we need to fix it. Just like past generations after the Second World War um, imagined what a better, safer world would look like. And we rallied our allies and partners around the world to build it. We need to do that now um, to build a safer world for not just for everyone, but for ourselves and everyone, because the pandemic has shown us how connected we are. What we're calling the Delta variant, we used to call the India variant. And it's not coincidental um, that, these, uh, that the virus mutates and grows in, in big um, unvaccinated, undervaccinated populations. So no one's safe until everyone is. We need the WHO um, to address that, uh, to, to help us address that. Um, and we need to work to make the WHO better and stronger. Jamie Metzl with us. He's talking about the origins of this virus and what we need, where we need to go from here. So, Jamie, do you think I'm gonna, we're going to be talking about variants for years? The Delta yes. variant is just going to be on and on again. Okay, uh, I can walk in a restaurant with a mask. I can't. What day is it? What time is it? Do I need to check the news in my yeah. phone to find out what's happening in what state? We just have to get used to this? I, you know, I, I fear um, that for now we do. Nobody likes this. It, this is a terrible way to live relative to the ways that we, that we did before. Um, but what are the things that we need to do? I know that you, Brian, and others uh, have are supporting vaccinations. Uh, there's a debate over um, whether they should be mandated or not, but I hope that we can all agree that vaccines help for it because people who get infected, if you're infected with the virus and you're vaccinated, uh, your chance of dying is one in a million. If you get infected with the virus and you're not vaccinated, it's one in 50. So we know that these vaccines work. I hope that everybody and all of your listeners will uh, will very seriously consider getting uh, getting vaccinated. Um, but we need to we need to protect ourselves. And uh, this is much, it's much more significant threat um, than the flu or really anything else uh, that we have, have seen at, at this mass scale. And we're going to have to start developing habits for now that protect us. Vaccination is one. If we need to wear masks, nobody likes it. They're extremely uncomfortable. Um, But if we need to do it in some circumstances to protect ourselves or maybe more significantly to protect other people, I think we, we ought to do it. But we need to be having a conversation about what's the what's the best way that we can address these challenges inclusively uh, because it won't work right. if a big chunk of the population feels 
uh, that something is being done to them and they don't have a voice. Yeah, you'll never be able to make someone take a medicine. I just don't ever see it in this country. Obviously, it's around the world. France, Australia, all throughout Europe, they're pushing back on this and berating people for not taking it. Uh, You know the American mindset. That doesn't work. And I I did get the vaccine as soon as I was eligible, but I do not feel comfortable telling people what to do. And I'm not yeah, going to no, urge them to do it because I've had I've had a, f- a friend directly over the last two weeks give it to his 17 year old son, and he's got inflammation in the heart. If he listened, if I was the one to tell him, I just don't feel don't feel I'm worthy to be doing that or or deserve that responsibility. And that should well, yeah. I'll tell well, you what well, I did. That's what yeah. I did. No, and I think it's fair. And I, and I think that saying what what you did, and certainly that's also what I did. And presenting the information fairly so that people can draw their exactly. own conclusions based on, on the information that, that they have. But I, at least for one, as someone who's really spent a lot of time looking into this, I think that if, if you can, that yes, um, that people have been harmed by all kinds of, of, of health care and any surgery has a risk. Everything that we do has, has some risk. Um, but I, for me, I can say with, with absolute confidence for myself uh, that we have much more to fear yeah. from the virus than we do from the vaccine. And if gotcha. you believe, as I do, that this most likely comes from a lab in, in China where they were very likely doing all kinds of research designed to make these scary viruses scarier, there's a lot to be worried about. And we have these vaccines. We know that Got they it. work. We know that they're safe, and it's a good idea. Uh, Jamie Metzl, always valuable to talk to you, but you are much more qualified than me as a member of the WHO Advisory Committee and a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. Jamie Metzl, thank you. Uh, And coming up at the bottom of the hour, uh, George Pataki. He's going to be talking about this Cuomo scandal. He was the last governor to leave New York, but uh, not defamed and not ousted. Uh, This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your calls, 1-866-408-7669, next. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you have presidential powers to intervene in states like Texas and Florida where they are banning mask mandates? I, I, I don't believe that I do thus far. We're checking that. We, but there are on federal workforce I can. Yeah, I don't think you can. And uh, just stay out of it. Don't even try it, President Biden. Uh, Bob, listen on FM News Talk 97.1 in St. Louis. Hey, Bob. Hey, Brian. A few things. Let's go ahead and look at everything logically. As far as COVID goes, i got to ask several questions. Number one, when SARS had a 15% death rate, how come we weren't doing what we're doing now? Number two, 671,000 people unfortunately died from COVID in this country. The death rate, your chance of dying from COVID, 0.018%, and yet we shut the whole country down. I'm sorry, I'm 73. I have not gotten a shot. My wife has a, a low immunity system. She can't get the shot. And the thing is, that's my prerogative, whether I get it or not. The blue mask that everybody's wearing is a government control device because it's been shown medically they're absolutely useless. The second thing, as far as Republicans go, 
the do-nothing party, and I'm a Republican, okay, is this. They go ahead, and you, 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 want, you ask the question, did they get enough? They automatically did not get enough because even if they got the whole $1.2 trillion what they wanted, they're losing $3.2 trillion. That's a no-brainer. You got messed up, man. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's so aggravating and in your face is that the things they negotiated out, the things they negotiated out were actually put in the bill that was introduced hours later. Uh, And that happened at 4 in the morning today. But it was just the blueprint. Joe Manchin says we're not in a Great Depression or Great Recession. We can't afford to spend like we are. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And there is a difference between alleged improper conduct and concluding sexual harassment. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not to say that there are not 11 women who I truly offended. There are. And for that, I deeply, deeply apologize. But I believe that Governor Cuomo had his lawyer talk first, him talk second, and then resign and then give his resume because he wants to come back another day. George Pataki knows all about that. Three successful terms as governor of New York, who left under his own power, unlike Elliot Spitzer, who replaced him, unlike uh, uh, Governor Patterson, who replaced Spitzer, and unlike Governor Cuomo, who replaced a a disgraced Governor Patterson. Uh, Governor Pataki, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. What do you think about yesterday's events? Thank you, Brian. First of all, uh, thank God he's gone, or at least he's going. You know, it was inevitable. The handwriting was on the wall. Andrew Cuomo had to leave. And if he hadn't resigned, he would have been impeached. And I think I think uh, cooler heads got to him. It wasn't his intent to resign, but he would have been impeached. So this was the, the, the only course he had, so he resigned. But, Brian, I have to tell you, even his resignation comments I thought were just uh, – unapologetic in in larger form. He just didn't acknowledge responsibility, and uh, he had his lawyers specifically go after the victims before he got up there to talk. And uh, it wasn't a remorseful, you know, this is a sad day. It's more, I'm a victim of a political witch hunt, and that is simply untrue. He had to go. Yeah, I mean, victim of what? It's a democratic state. I mean, course, there's nobody man. out to get him. They want him to get a fourth term. He was, he was doing everything they wanted, including increasing taxes. Oh, it was just dreadful what he was doing. Forget about, uh, for the moment, the, the horrible uh, allegations that the attorney general found true the, of the uh, sexual harassment. Uh, he was destroying the state, the highest tax state in America, crime going through the roof, mentally ill, homeless, roaming the streets of New York City, jaws moving out constantly. It was just an absolute uh, horror. So uh, we are changing the governor, but it's not just the governor that has to change. We have to change the direction of this state. If New York's going to have a good future. You talk about not taking responsibility. Here's an example. Cut six. I am a fighter. And my instinct is to fight through this controversy because I truly believe it is politically motivated. I believe it is unfair and it is untruthful. And I believe it, it demonizes behavior that is unsustainable for society. 
If I could communicate the facts through the frenzy, New Yorkers would understand. I believe that. So he not only, not only is he leaving uh, against his will, he's just leaving because there's no political way forward. I believe he's coming back or else he you wouldn't know, be talking like that. Uh, Brian, you're right. That, uh, you know, he, he, he blames it all on politics, which is nonsense. And he says he's a fighter. Everybody who's dealt with his administration knows he's more of a bully than a fighter. You know, it's, there's a big difference between someone who fights for what's right and someone who creates a toxic work environment and is a bully and a thug towards everybody who disagrees with him. And that's the legacy of Andrew Cuomo. Uh, and it wasn't political. The Attorney General James is a, an elected Democratic official. She's the one who conducted a fair and detailed investigation that found those 11 victims totally credible. Uh, But I think, I fear you may have some validity there that he's looking to come back. You know, hey, uh, Anthony Weiner was convicted of a felony and came back and actually ran for office. He lost, thank God, but I can see it happening with Andrew Cuomo as well. And by resigning instead of impeaching, being impeached, he keeps that option available. Absolutely. So just to give you an idea, uh, Governor Pataki, you had three terms. He's got, he was going for a fourth. It's not going to happen, at least yet. Uh, his economic development excesses, including the Buffalo Billions, right? $15 million for a film hub in Syracuse. That fell flat on his face, and the person in charge of it ended up in jail. Remember, he got rid of fracking and the potential it would have done for upstate New York and for people around the country listening. Upstate New York is, is very rural, very Iowa-like. They desperately need some economic activity. He stopped that. He stopped the pipeline. He put the Indian nuclear power plant sidelined, even though they were giving a third of power to the entire state. Uh, We know also he raised taxes. He kept a millionaire tax hike in place, and he wondered why people are leaving. Uh, He also talked about this startup program. Uh, It gives tax benefits to attract local businesses. He ends up begging big businesses to come back. It ends up being a, a, a total flop. This guy was failure after failure. That's exactly right, Brian. His economic policies, to the extent they had any coercion, were all the wrong, wrong-headed. You know, raise taxes, increase regulation, uh, ban the opportunity to access natural resources, and the programs that he did have, like the Buffalo Billions, were rife with corruption. Didn't create the jobs he hoped, and some of the key players ended up in jail, including one of his closest uh, associates. So, uh, this is not just uh, this one scandal that made the. the Andrew Cuomo a failure as governor. It's his entire term. Uh, look at the crime in New York City, and not just New York City across the state. Yes, de Blasio's been an awful mayor, but it's Andrew Cuomo who passed all those criminal, so-called criminal justice reform that turns criminals loose on the street. You get arrested by the police for a felony, unless it's a certain type of felony, you're back out on the street the same day. And the criminals know that. And look at the mentally ill homeless. The governor's done nothing to deal with that. And you know, your offices are just down the street from mine, and we're both in the city, and you can see the empty office buildings uh, and the quality of life just has declined so much. Yes, de Blasio has been a, a terrible, awful uh, mayor, but Cuomo's been an awful governor. And now I hope people have a chance to understand that this isn't a fighter. This is a thug, 
it was appropriate. This is the time that he needed. He should have gone a long time ago, but thank God he's leaving now. And, Brian, we haven't even talked about the nursing homes. That investigation must continue. At least 15,000 unnecessary deaths because of his ridiculous policy that everybody called him out on on day one, and he wouldn't change. That needs to be investigated. Was that a consequence of campaign contributions, lobbyist influence? Why did he do that? Absolutely. Governor, can you tell me why he did that? Some say that, well, you know, he wanted to keep the hospitals from overflowing, so he took infected patients and put them back in nursing homes. Was there a financial benefit you get or the state gets from putting people back in nursing homes? Uh, I think it was nonsense that uh, he was worried about the hospitals because he had the Javits Center uh, that was retrofitted by the by the, the Trump administration that had hundreds and hundreds of available beds that were never used. He had the USS Comfort that the president sent to New York retrofitted to deal with COVID patients, never used it. So he had all this empty space that could have been used. I don't know if it was financial, if it was campaigns, if it was lobbying influence, but it was so wrong that no one defended it except himself. And as we know, Brian, his chief of staff, acknowledged in a conference call they intentionally lied about the numbers of nursing home deaths because they were afraid of a federal investigation. Now, he's resigning, but that's not good enough. Right. This needs to be investigated, and we need to understand why this happened. And I'm talking to Governor George Pataki, three-term governor of New York, the last Republican to hold the position and leave at the end of his term. Everybody else has been uh, left in shame. Uh, governor, uh, when his first comment to you that got him in political trouble was on 9-11 afterwards, they said, oh, Governor Pataki did, and I'll paraphrase, is hold Rudy Giuliani's coat. How inappropriate was that? What was your reaction to it? He paid you know, a price. I, I just couldn't help but laugh because it's classic Andrew Cuomo. You know, he has to be in front of the camera. He has to be in charge. He has to be the one who's taking credit whether he deserves it or not. And it's not about the kind of job you, you do. It's about whether you can get in front of the camera and get accolades and credit. And that's Andrew Cuomo. That was him during COVID. He was on the camera every day. And in fact, he did a, a decent job with that. But he was in the meantime, every one of his policies was making COVID a lot worse in New York. But that's classic Andrew Cuomo, it's about you getting the press, you being the famous one, you're the one in charge, and not about whether or not you do a good job. I am very proud of what myself and our team did on September 11th and for days and weeks and months thereafter. You go to lower Manhattan today, that is a result of our efforts, uh, and I'm proud of that. Um, maybe we didn't. Maybe I wasn't on camera every day the way Andrew Cuomo was. Maybe I didn't get a $5 million book deal. But I did what was right for the people of New York and the people of America, and I'm proud of that. You didn't get praise like this. Cut 12. New York's Andrew Cuomo has become an outspoken voice in this crisis with his blunt and sobering assessments. You were there for us, and I go, oh, you smart, and you were honest. You exposed a lot of your own vulnerabilities. A very buzzed about topic about you is your love life. You've been commended for your clear and your calm leadership. Congratulations, Andrew, on your much-deserved Founders Award. You and your brother Chris tied as the most desirable men in New York. Is it true that this was the swab that the nurse was actually using? In scale, this was the actual swab that was being used. I was going to be nice and sweet. I just want a yes, no. And this is while he was working on a $5 million book deal and being hailed right. as the anti-Trump hero. 
You know, it's just I, I find it hard to listen to all that, but that's the media. You know, they never dug beyond the superficial, beyond his press conference. They didn't look at what he was doing with nursing homes. They didn't look at how he was not allowing private companies to engage in testing when people were desperate to find out if they were COVID positive. He didn't allow uh, COVID positive patients voluntarily to be isolated. So they got sent back to their small apartment in the Bronx with seven people living in the same apartment to infect the rest of the families because he didn't listen to the health experts. But he was on TV every morning and he was writing a book that he got five million for every afternoon. Uh, and I, you know, I fault the press for this. I, obviously, Andrew Cuomo is more concerned about him than he was about the people of New York, and that's just awful. Uh, but I also fault the press for just looking at a press conference as opposed to what he was doing. They should have. If they had, they would have known better. Uh, believe me, we tried, and we did. And they, they basically wouldn't even call on Fox people or New York Post writers. You well, didn't Brian, have that that's luxury. Right. Brian, that's right. You guys did. You tried really hard, but you were cut off, and the rest of the media didn't care. And and, and that is also a black eye to the media, that when important questions are being asked but won't be answered, the rest of the media, whether they agree with your approach or not, should stand with you. They didn't. I never see anything like it. Governor, uh, he famously rebuilt the Tappan Zee Bridge and named it after his dad. You beat his dad to get the governor's mansion. Do you believe that name should be changed and taken off that bridge? Oh, you know, there are much bigger issues uh, facing New York than, than the naming of a bridge. You know, I thought, often thought that he'd named the major landfill where New York City's trash was taken after me, but he never got around to that. But so, so the, I, that doesn't bother me one way or the other. That was just another example of, of ego uh, that he had. But uh, the policies, the, the actual changing of the tax structure so that we don't drive people out of the state, changing the criminal justice system so we can be safe, having an intelligent approach to sending kids back to school in just a few weeks, these are all things that need to be focused on. And the name of the bridge, you know, down the road, anybody can name it after anybody they want. That's not what matters to me. Got it. Uh, Lee Zeldin, for me, has the best resume. And by the way, you came out of nowhere to establish a resume as a legitimate governor, three-term governor. So Lee Zeldin, a veteran, served in the military. Uh, he's one in a purple area on Long Island. He's uh, from Suffolk County. He is, uh, has, a, has a real ear to the, American, the New York Jewish community in Manhattan, which usually goes to the Democrat. Here's what he said about Kathy Hochul, who will be taking over She's currently lieutenant governor. Cut 17. From one scandal to the next, the lieutenant governor, Andrew Cuomo's lieutenant, had nothing to say. She was silent. Uh, I saw it firsthand where uh, it was a, it, an embrace of the intimidation, harassment, abuse that was uh, Andrew Cuomo's claim to fame. And he believed that uh, New York loves their emperor governors. He would rule by fear. And Kathy Hochul looked up to it, and she ended up ascending to lieutenant governor and now governor uh, following it. Two, two things. Does Lee Zeldin have a shot, and do you, have, do you share his assessment with Kathy Hochul? Well, uh, 
uh, first of all, I think Lee Zeldin is tremendous. His record uh, in the military, uh, in the legislature, I think is just uh, tremendous, particularly uh, his, his military record and what he did in Albany and standing up to Cuomo when he was in the legislature there. Um, but there are going to be a lot of candidates, Brian. I like Lee very much, but this is going to be wide open. And with respect to Kathy Hockle, uh, let me say – I think we should give her a chance. You know, we need to, she needs to hit the ground running. I mean, I'm a Republican, uh, but we have these crises, the economic crisis, the tax crisis, the empty office buildings, the mentally ill, homeless, the crime through the roof. Uh, and I would hope when she takes office, she calls the legislature back in September and has an agenda that shows that she is going to change the direction of this state. Let's give her that chance. Um, will she do it? I don't know. I certainly hope so for the future of the state. If she doesn't, uh, then I don't think uh, she would be reelected. But I'll tell you, this is New York, Brian. There are right now dozens and dozens of political people talking to their families and their consultants, plotting how they're going to run for governor, whether it's a Democratic socialist running to the left of her in a primary. De Blasio, he can run on the platform that I, I screwed up New York City. Now I can screw up New York State. But he may actually run in a Democratic primary. And I'm sure there will be other Republicans besides Lee Zeldin out there. Uh, Lee, um, um, I, I very much like him as a person. Uh, but at this point, I think it's far too early to say that uh, any one person is the right candidate. Governor George Pataki, thanks so much. The 53rd governor of New York State. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you, Brian. Great being on with you. You got it. When we come back, I'll open up the calls. I see you up there from Orlando to New York City. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, guys, it was a big day here in New York as uh, Andrew Cuomo announced that he's resigning as governor. During his remarks, he said it was best that he step aside. And every woman in the room took two steps aside. A little bit different than uh, some of the, the guffawing and the fan uh, the fan girling thing that we we're witnessing from all the late night hosts. Eric, listening in Orlando. Eric, WDBO is the place. What's on your mind? Hey, Brian. Great to hear you today. Um, as you know, I am in Florida, and my wife is a respiratory therapist here, and uh DBO, during your commercial, just ran a story that the CDC mistakenly combined three days of Florida's COVID reporting into one report, but they're deciding if they're going to rescind or not. Um, I can tell you from experience that 85% of the people that are in the hospital right now are vaccinated. Uh, the deaths are way down, and from what the professionals here are saying, that's because they know what they're doing now. They're using hydroxychloroquine and other drugs. They're not intubating people. Intubation was killing people. COVID affects you know, It's so weird, Eric. I hear you. I, I hear you, but I just heard this other story that, that Flora is looking to buy or ask the government for ventilators. I'm thinking, why ventilators? Haven't we learned that that is the last-ditch effort? That might not be for covid they haven't told you stuff. Maybe we are looking to buy him. But uh, I agree. I agree with my governor. Until they get this 
I'm going to paraphrase him, but until they get this border under control, because there's videos of the border agents, they're just taking temperatures, and that's it. Until they get the border under control, we should just save the COVID talk. They're telling me to wear a mask while they're letting people just pour in through this border. Gotcha, Eric. Thanks so much. Appreciate all of you out there and your emails. I'll get to them. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We've got Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour and you, 1-866-408-7669. I'll have a chance for you to sound off on what has been an incredibly busy, uh, really uh, taxing week for a lot of people who are wondering where this country's going, who's wondering what's happening with the leadership. They continue to let us down. Also know this, out of all the countries out there, you still only want to be here. This is the country who's managed to still persevere economically, still come up with a vaccine medically, uh, and still find a way to get uh, to get some growth going, despite the fact that our leaders are playing politics and they're not leading. And some have left in scandal. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I'm sorry. I, I mean, I know people must like to have their individual freedom and not be told to do something. But I think we're in such a serious situation now that under certain circumstances, mandates should be done. Anthony Fauci continuing to amaze with his uh, idiocy, taking away our rights and freedoms, really? The variant that's dividing America, mass mandates, vaccine demands at the workplace, an arguing debate around the country and around the world, even the police state where it was created, China. Number two. We are moving on to a second track, which will make generational transformation in these areas. Once this bill is complete, the Senate will immediately turn to the second track in our two-track strategy. There you go. Chuck Schumer, infrastructure deal done through the Senate, but not just one. Senate passed at 4 in the morning, Eastern Time, $3.5 trillion budget resolution. That no, no Republican votes were sought, nor did they get them. While the first bill is debatable, the second is a flat-out destructive, devastating attempt to up taxes, up spending, and, and I think, destroy the American dream. Number one. New York tough means New York loving. And I love New York. The best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing. And therefore, that's what I'll do. Down goes Cuomo. Stunning. The media darling celebrity heartthrive leaves the governor's mansion in disgrace. The details, the trouble, there remains. And his comeback, which I believe is already in the works. Why else would you wheel out your lawyer to talk for over an hour talking about, oh, how unfair that big report done by Democratic Attorney General Letitia James? Believe me, she wanted to find nothing. You could talk about her being ambitious, and she's ridiculous. Her first statement when she became Attorney General was going after Trump. She's not going at helping us. She's trying to help herself politically, but not to go after her own party. It wouldn't work to her benefit. She would love to have found nothing. Instead, all 11 accusers had valid claims, 171 interviews. So they had—Governor Cuomo had his lawyer 
go through and defame, to a degree, almost every accuser, including the first, Lindsey Boylan. It makes absolutely no sense. And then in comes the governor. And then he goes and talks for a while, gives his resume, and in between resigns. Why? He had no options. He's still in trouble. Uh, His lawyer presser shows he wants to come back. He's got a resume that he wanted everyone to understand after he resigned. He listed his accomplishments. And then he also took shots at fellow Democrats like Chuck Schumer, bringing him into the fray, and took a shot at the president at a moment in a press conference he knew was taking place with an infrastructure bill that was passing the Senate. He called this press conference at the exact same time to take thunder away from a man that he thought was an ally. This is why people hate the guy. Cut one. In a highly political matter like this, there are many agendas and there are many motivations at play. If anyone thought otherwise, they would be naive. Government needs to perform. It is a matter of life and death, government operations. And wasting energy on distractions is the last thing that state government should be doing. The best way I can help now is if I step aside, and therefore that's what I'll do, because I work for you. All right, I can't even hear it anymore. And by the way, a word a minute did nothing for me during the pandemic and does nothing for me now. He's ratcheting up the drama. Evidently, Chris told him, you have no other options. You you have to leave. He was going to be impeached. In New York, when you get impeached, they sideline you while they have the trial. So he'd lose power anyway, never get it back. But about the timing, I'm not the only one to put two and two together. NBC did. Kelly O'Donnell, cut 14. Well, what is so notable, Pete, is the governor of New York choosing this particular day and even this hour to make this announcement. They have just had what is arguably the most significant political victory of President Biden's time in office. And Governor Cuomo using the power of his own newsmaking ability to squash that in the moment. He did. No doubt about it. As far as him being hated, let's stick with NBC. Cut 15, Andrew Mitchell. I've been covering the Cuomos uh, through Mario and through Andrew's HUD leadership, and he's been a toxic presence and and an abrasive presence throughout his father's career and as an enforcer and throughout his tenure in in the Clinton administration. And he found he had no friends anywhere in the Democratic establishment and had no alternative. I always thought he had no friends. I thought it was ridiculous that he's fighting with an incompetent mayor when a lot of this stuff could have been done behind the scenes. It actually hurt New Yorkers in the pandemic effort because they're working against each other, trumping each other, pun intended, uh, every step of the way. My hope is that Lee Zeldin has enough momentum, is the unique New Yorker with the American Jewish background, the military background, effective legislative background, with the Trump alliance, um, but not overwhelming Trump alliance, but he definitely understands what the Trump agenda was. He might have the momentum to win upstate, enough on Long Island, and enough in New York City uh, to actually be a, a legitimate gubernatorial candidate. So what happened last night at 4 in the morning was unbelievable. They passed the framework, the blueprint for a $3.5 trillion spending spree that had ridiculous things on it. By the way, when you do something on reconciliation, it should only be dollars and cents and budget related. They have legalization, what they say is up to 8 million illegal immigrants. They're going to be voting infrastructure. It's a green agenda jammed down our throats. Almost everything negotiated out of the $1.1 trillion by Republicans was hit over the head with them on the same day 
through the Senate, they got 20 supporters on the Republican side. Now, heartening. And Joe Manchin came out this morning and says, I object to the total of $3.5 trillion. I want to debate it. This is not the Great Depression or Great Recession. This is not an emergency situation. We can't be spending this much. And he cited inflation. Thank goodness. Most Republicans against it. Bill Cassidy, for it, help write it. Cut 24. It's going to make people's lives safer. That $3.5 trillion, drive up inflation, drive up the debt, drive up taxes. And so we hate that one, but boy, we sure do love this one. It's good for jobs, good for quality of life, good for the economy. As one of my colleagues said, what's not to like? Listen, I, I'm not going to bore you with the $43 trillion for Amtrak and all this stuff. You've, you've heard those numbers before. We'll get into it when I get more details of it. I, mean, I want to ballpark it on full screens that I can't verify. But let me just tell you, in the same state, John Kennedy said this about the deal. Cut 31. Speaker Pelosi is so excited about the passage of the infrastructure bill, she's thinking about merging the two bills in the House. I'm telling you, the Democrats desperately wanted this infrastructure bill. They wanted it like an axe wants a turkey. They wanted it like Ben wants J-Lo. And that's just a fact. And we just got outmaneuvered. Uh, Intelligence was chasing us, and we got beat. (laughs) Nobody talks like that. Listen. I want to talk about some of this with Martha McCallum in you, 1-866-408-7669. If you prefer the right, uh, we'll do that. Some of the emails have already come in. Bob Kaus writes me and says, Kraus, I should say, in a Republican holding out hope that Manchin will do the right thing, ought to refer back to the scorpion and frog table. But, Bob, I know he's let people down in the past, but keep in mind, too, he's already let people, uh, he's already pushed back on the Democratic Party, one of two to do it, or else the filibuster would be gone right now. So he also engineered any type of bipartisan cooperation on, that we just saw. We were going to get to deal with that anyway. At least we got some things in there that are going to help the country and not help anybody's party. And uh, we'll talk about more about that a little bit later when the topic changes. We have a lot to discuss, including the miserable situation in Afghanistan. A preventable catastrophe is taking place. Women are being burned alive for exposing their hair by their hair. Uh, they're being enslaved and married off to Taliban fighters. Uh, seven provincial provincial capitals have fallen. Kabul is surrounded. It could all fall within 90 days. Yeah, Joe Biden, you made the call. Yeah, Donald Trump wanted to get out of Afghanistan, but he left 2,500. You pulled everyone out, and you told everyone you were leaving. And the Taliban have broken every agreement. You have every reason to get back into this deal because they broke the deal And we could have left a shell of a force there and allowed people to go to school and women to actually have a life and for America's interest to be serviced because we're right in an area where terror reigns, where China lives and Russia calls home. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Martha McCallum and you next. Thanks so much for listening. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm sorry. I I mean, I know people must like to have their individual freedom and not be told to do something. 
But I think we're in such a serious situation now that under certain circumstances, mandates should be done. So he wants mandates, uh, of course, uh, in schools with the mask. That's Anthony Fauci. You might recognize his voice for every minute he's on radio and TV that he can. And number two, vaccinations. He wants a mandate. He likes the private businesses doing this. Martha McCallum with us right now, host of the story. Hey, it's not a unique fight. Australia's having this fight, although right. Europe's having this fight. We understand it. Yeah. Uh, China just demands it. you got the command uh, structure. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But – he has no problem making comments about lifestyles. He has no business even answering those questions, Martha. You know, and here's the problem, and I know you've talked about it a lot, is the, the $42 billion that the CDC has and the tiny amount of money that they've spent studying these things. So the most disconcerting thing that has happened over the course of this whole pandemic process is people just sort of make these proclamations. And I understand that he's a, he's a scientist with a long history in infectious diseases, but they haven't done studies, so they don't know – um, how effective? So my question as a as a parent would be: If I had little kids in school, you know, if you're going to make them wear a mask, like, are you going to? Is everyone going to get an ND95? Because like the cloth mask, we don't have any studies that show that it's actually effective. So it, these things are all sort of these kind of knee jerk reactions to what's going on, and they don't feel like they're based in in good study or science that helps us do the right thing to to keep everybody safe because it's clear that kids are getting this because they're not vaccinated. Um, and it's clear that because so many of them are contracting it, even though there's not a lot of risk of serious disease or hospitalization, you will get some because of the numbers of, of kids that, that are getting it right now. Well, I'll tell you, there's, there is, their kids are getting it. One thing was pointed out to me is the reason why there's a greater percentage of kids getting the variant than got the original virus is because a lot of the seniors have been vaccinated. A exactly. lot of the most vulnerable. So That's that, right. of course, will say how many people you have, 100, instead of saying most are seniors, to say, well, out of that percentage, most are younger. I get it. Delta variant is different. We hear it's easy to spread, but we hear it's not as lethal. I go by that. And then we see what's happening in Florida and Texas. I am forgot. Um, I don't have my notes with me. Was, was Joe Biden running as a uniter or a divider? <laughs> a uniter, right? That would be a uniter. So if he was running as a uniter, why would he go out of his way day after day to vilify Florida and Texas? Because they want to give parents the ability to make the decision about their kids. He's not saying don't wear masks. He's saying don't make them wear masks. We got to, This is America. We should go. We should judge it by that. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think most people want to have the ability to decide whether or not their kid is a, is a kid who struggles with mask wearing and the risks for them are different or their ability to see and understand what's being said um, when other people have masks on is impinged. So all of that are factors. And again, we, we don't have we don't have the homework. We don't have the studies to show what the best, most effective way is. I do think that with all of the schools in Florida, you know, if you if you want your kid, I'm a big believer in choice. So I think if you want your kid Absolutely. to go to a school where everyone is wearing a mask, um, I think that can that can be an, an option for parents who want that. And some parents do want that. And how about this? You put your kid, you know what, my, uh, my third grader, I have a fifth grader, I have a seventh grader. I'm going to make those decisions on all three of those kids. And actually, if you're wearing a mask, you're not really affected by other kids that are or aren't wearing a mask. Some theories say if somebody's unvaccinated, uh, they can spread this virus easier but for the most part, kids do not suffer uh, do not suffer death or hospitalization on getting this. But I wanted to talk about how bad the rhetoric has gotten in America. Listen to this Norma Oklahoma School board member. Her name is Linda Sexton. Listen to the listen to her comments. Cut thirty eight. It's just not okay for kids to commit murder by coming to school without a mask. And when it comes down to it, 
It's possible. <laughs> they, will they will cause a death of another child because they come to school without a mask. That's not okay. I mean, this is, we have KRMG listeners there. This is Oklahoma, where the numbers are extraordinarily low. And where does that statement come from? Well, that's the question. Where does the statement come from? What, what study is she looking at? What, what information is she basing this on? Look, you know what the bottom line is? We don't know a whole lot about this Delta variant yet. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line, right? And so I can understand people who say, well, then I want to take extra precaution. Well, that's your right. You should absolutely do that. If you decide you want to stay home, you want to keep your child home, that, that's your prerogative. But I think what everybody does not want is the kind of blanket mandates that we've seen, the impingement on people's freedom of choice. Really, what you should do what, you know, with regard to staying home or evaluating your child or figuring out if, if you're going to get vaccinated, which in most cases, obviously, people should except for you know, conditions that are, that are unique to them. You should be making these decisions with your doctor who understands your physical situation. You mean not with your Understands anchor? your child. But why do you have Not with anchors? some person on the school board <laughs> and not with, you know, with, with someone who, who goes on TV and pretends to be an expert. Um, talk to your doctor. Listen, I, I'm, I got vaccinated. I have no problem telling people. So if you want to vilify Fox viewers or Fox anchors, kind of interesting attack for other networks to do. And then you look at the numbers, and they show most people are the, the greatest group that is unvaccinated this hour are African-Americans. Okay? That's interesting. We don't really vilify inner-city African-Americans or working-class people, which they are the greater number are working-class that are the ones who choose not to get vaccinated. Various reasons. Uh, Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson, top three quarterback in the NFL. He goes, I am not going to commit to getting the vaccine. He goes, I've had it twice. Right now I'm noncommittal. The league is going to make life hell for him. He's going to have to wear a mask everywhere. He can't eat with the team. He can't go to meetings. He's got to go on Zoom. So do you want to go vilify the quarterback in the NFL, the multimillionaire? But here's what he touched on. that I, this, I could scream this from a mountaintop. Why is there not a bigger discussion about natural immunity that has gained by antibodies and having had COVID. Never talk about you, it. You can ask any doctor, is it, you know, is it roughly equal, the vaccine protection and the natural immunity protection? Everyone I've talked to says yes, okay? There are some doctors who say, I think the vaccine gives you a little extra boost. Maybe if you had COVID, maybe one shot is the right combination for you. But, but there needs to be more credit given for natural antibodies. They exist. They are protective. And it should be in the workplace, in schools. There Absolutely. ought to be two boxes you can check. Yes, I had the vaccine, or yes, I've had antibodies, and I'm willing to get tested for my antibodies monthly to, to show that they are still there. But guess what's happening? I think September 15th, Martha McCallum, you have natural immunity. That doesn't count. You cannot eat here. It doesn't count. You cannot count. work out here. But but I'm saying, it, 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 that I, I think that's unfair. Of course I it think is. that it needs to be, and, and you know what? Nobody makes any money off of natural immunity. <laughs> Okay, natural immunity does not have a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. No one makes any money off of your natural body's ability to fight it off because you've had it once or twice. You think that plays a role? I do. Yes, I do. When we come back, more calls. We have much more to talk about. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Some people are mad at him. By the way, I can confirm the New York Times report. I'll I'll confirm it for your viewers. I also have a source that says Chris was on the phone with his brother this week. Is your source Chris Cuomo? He is not. He is not. You got to have boundaries. You got to draw lines. Why? He doesn't. Uh, I think he does, actually.
That was Brian Stelter embarrassing himself with Stephen Colbert, who's suddenly a, tr- a Cuomo critic when he no one kissed Cuomo's butt more than Stephen Colbert, who spent the weekend at the Obama uh, at the Obama party. Uh, did, did not actually. He he did. I don't think so. Yeah. Anyway, he was uninvited. Right no, 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 no. Do you, if you I just up, don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of assumptions his about monologue who, from Monday. Who went? Who didn't go? Whatever. Whatever. But Moving let's on. talk about this. Uh, it looks like Chris Cuomo was the one who told him to resign. It looks like Chris Cuomo was the one who was advising his brother even after he apologized to the country and to his colleagues for advising his brother. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is bothersome to – it's not up to me. I'm not saying anyone should be fired or given a raise. But do you think that that is somebody that just feels he's impervious to being fired? I think there's a lot of that in the Cuomo family, and I think Stephen's absolutely right to be asking these questions of Brian Stelter, um, who is very selective in terms of you know uh, of of who he goes after. I, I think that it was. I mean, I watched the Sunday inter- show as a joke. I think it's an interesting interview, and I think that he was absolutely right to hold his feet to the fire on on Chris Cuomo and on what he's been advising his brother and how recently has he been advising his brother. And I think these are questions that need to be asked. I think there's a ton of, you know, I think this is a, for Andrew Cuomo, this is a pride uh, goeth before the fall issue. I've never seen anyone who was more, you know, had a larger ego in his own handling of COVID. And I think when you look back, there's the, the, the sexual harassment issues are just sort of the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back. The issue of what happened in the nursing homes is is egregious, and I think that he was never really fully took responsibility for miscounting those numbers or delaying the numbers um, as he was getting that book contract. So uh, there, there's a lot here, and he has a lot of um, a lot of you know people who are not going to miss him at all. If you look through uh, you know what's going on in the local New York papers, there's a lot of people who are not unhappy. To me, Chuck Todd got a lot of blowback for saying that this is gonna he's gonna come back. To me, there's no doubt about it; he's coming back. That's the reason the lawyer goes out and runs through all the problems they had with the report. And that's the reason he hops on. He talks about what he did, what he didn't do, what he th- he's sorry that people misperceived what he did. He's 63. Oops. Even though he wrote the laws about sexual, uh, so many laws about sexual. He didn't know but, the lines had been redrawn. Even though he redrew them in, right, a, exactly. in, in a lot of legislation. And then after saying I resign, ran through everything he accomplished. So he wants to end with his resume. Among the people that are upset by this is his former special advisor, Susan Del Paricio, Cut 13. What a disgraceful way of conducting yourself out the door. He basically had his lawyers discredit the investigators, discredit the media, and discount the accusers. Then he went on the air and basically talked down to people, especially women, saying, it's just who I am, I'm sorry. That is unbelievable behavior and shows that he really has no remorse. I I have to conclude the same thing, but this is a former special advisor to Mm -hmm. the guy. Look who else he took down with him. He took down Time's Up CEO, who was consulting him on how to beat the accuser's uh, claims. He's taken down his brother. He hurt him substantially, let alone uh, his DeRosa, Marissa DeRosa, his Melissa DeRosa, DeRosa, 34-year-old assistant that most people thought had a really bright future, didn't care that they were all going down in flames around him. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's clear that people who worked closely with him uh, feel that his arrogance is... um has no bounds, and I think that's what we saw. And that I was, I was actually surprised when I, when you could feel that whole speech turning. Well, in retrospect, there's no way he would have come out to talk yesterday unless he was going to resign, basically, unless he was just going to let his lawyers come out and say we're going to fight this this whole thing. But it, it's clear that everybody around him was supporting him 
fell away, right? He he looked at the situation, and at some point, maybe with the help of Chris Cuomo, uh, said there's no exit ramp here. The best thing to do is to resign, get get your story out there, say how you say what you think about your perception of what happened, and you're also going to see this play out in two different. There's a lawsuit uh, from Lindsey Boylan, and then there's the criminal suit from um, from uh, Camisso, Brittany Camisso. So th- this is not over for him. I-, I-, I find it hard to believe that there wasn't a deal. I know Carl Hasty says there was no deal uh, to drop the impeachment, but I think that story also probably has some more investigating to be done. See, I just think that Trump never would have been impeached again if, for the first time uh, if there were Republicans, majorities in the House and Senate. So it wouldn't, wouldn't happen. Okay. It's the same thing here. Even though Democrats have turned on him, it doesn't mean they want to bring the whole thing up again. Right. It, at and all. plus there's so, you know, legions of people who are so anxious to see him gone and to try to get his job, you know. So um, it's going to – the focus will turn to that. They don't benefit. The Democrats don't benefit in, in Albany by dragging this out. So I want to talk about something else you also have great knowledge on, and that's Afghanistan. Nobody wants the endless war. We get it. But I never looked at it as endless war. We have a situation where 74,000 people are in Japan uh, right now playing a role in the region, invaluable role in the region. We have so many in Germany playing an invaluable role as a tripwire to Russia. To me, to keep 2,500 troops in Afghanistan and allow uh, women and others to have a chance at a legitimate life and gradually pay back on the insti- uh, pay down on the institutions that we were single-handedly supporting – would have made a lot more sense. Now we're in the embarrassing situation of watching Kabul fall within days of our exit. I mean, who thought up this plan? Oops, it was President Biden who reportedly bucked his own advisors in this massive pullout. Yeah, I mean, the images of, you know, the last helicopter in Saigon, in, in Saigon come to mind um, as we pulled out of Vietnam. And you, you, you have to look at the mission, right? I'm very mission-driven in terms of, of, of breaking down a situation, trying to figure out what, what the point is. So the whole point with the American mission in Afghanistan was to rob al-Qaeda of a safe haven for terrorism and terrorist acts that they might want to carry out in the United States, right? And that was successful for a time. Then we pulled out. Then we saw the growth of you know of the region as well. Then we saw the growth of ISIS. We saw the horrific uh, terrorist acts that were carried out by ISIS. You know, you have to look at it and say, what happens now? So now that the Taliban is back in charge, what is their relationship with al-Qaeda at this point? Will they be a safe haven for future terrorist acts in the United States? You know, everything else that stemmed from that mission, the, the building of schools, the protection of, of rights for women in Afghanistan, that was all, you know, really wonderful acts, I think. And those children are at the mercy of the Taliban coming back in. We're already hearing horrific stories about what's happening. Being burned alive and being uh, forced marriages. Unbelievable uh, what's going on with women there as well. But when you go back to the core mission, protecting the United States by making sure that there's no safe haven for terrorism in that area, um, have we we lost that and will that come back to bite us? That's the key question for American national security. So here is the the, uh, Afghanistan ambassador to the United Nations, cut 45. We're compelled to ask for this urgent meeting as the situation in Afghanistan has been rapidly deteriorating due to recent escalation of violence by the Taliban and their brutal military offensives on major cities and population centers in several provinces. So their success has basically surrounded Kabul. Now, I was in talking, listening to Michael O'Hanlon last night, in talking to Michael Waltz today, in talking to General Michael Keane on Friday. Um... Uh, I'm sorry, uh, General, General Jack Keane, Michael Keane, what am I out of my mind? Um, Jack Keane on Friday. There's still time. I mean, you can combine airstrikes with 
uh, the way we took down the Taliban the first time. You combine with their militias, you lead them along the way, you show them where to, to drop the bombs, and then you continue to slowly pull out and force the Taliban to do what they signed on to, and that's negotiate towards an election. Instead, they threw that in the street. They told us to get out. We got out even quicker than they told us to. And now we say, well, there was a deal in place. Oh, really, Joe Biden? Are you concerned about blowing up deals that Donald Trump put in place? Because you've shown no proclivity towards leaving those deals in place. Hence the border. Hence uh, Europe. Hence the uh, missile agreement with Russia. How about your 500 executive orders that you've signed reversing everything Donald Trump did? There was a responsible way to do it. And I'm embarrassed by this exit. Do you think that the exit, um, because we know that President Trump also wanted to leave Afghanistan. Absolutely. Do you think that— And I'd be just as critical if he did How would it be handled differently? How do you think at this point it would be— Well, put it this way. In talking to Senator Lindsey Graham and talking to General Jack Keane, who both had the president's ear, he said one thing about the president. He has an idea, but he does listen. Mm -hmm. Remember in Syria, he pulled out and said, I don't care about the Kurds. He said, listen, you got to care about the Kurds. He put down a a smaller force. It slowed down the exit. It stopped, and Iraq ended up uh, and going after al-Qaeda and ISIS to begin with. If we just changed the way we exit, if we said you broke the agreement, we are staying for now. If you said we are going to stay at our military base and conduct airstrikes if you go over a certain amount of areas, that would have neutralized everything. And I only bring you back not to what could have happened, but what was happening. For a year and a half, we hadn't lost one guy. And NATO hasn't lost any. And they were surprised that we made this move. NATO, who we asked to help us, said, why are you leaving now? No one wants an endless war. And I would, if the President Trump did this the way he did this, I, was just as criti- I would be just as critical. Hence, the last time when he said one day gets up and says, we got to leave Syria. Why are we there? I was just as critical. And to me, no one's asking for you to dominate Afghanistan, but it helps America. We're right in the middle of China, Russia, and Pakistan, where al-Qaeda and ISIS take root. Yeah. And I you just already think, have China and Russia doing, you know, joint military exercises. Um, China wanna, is yeah. very active in the region, um, and they see it as a way to build, you know, economically and militarily and have influence in that region. It, it provides it creates an enormous vacuum of Western power in that area. Uh, lastly, on the three three point five trillion at four in the morning, I, Martha, I called up. I just got voicemail. You were not up, but at four <laughs> in the morning, the three point five trillion as a blueprint was passed through the Senate hours after the one point one trillion was sent. The three point five trillion is absolutely to me. It's it's the craziest economic attack we've had on our economy since the cyber attacks that hit our country and held our pipeline hostage. This will change America forever. Elder care, free school, free preschool, free school lunches, 8 million uh, illegals are going to be nationalized, which means we're going to get another 20 million storming our, uh, our border. This is Bernie Sanders' vision of America, something that even Vermont is questioning. Yeah, um, it is. And it's the largest transfer. The reason that Chuck Schumer and Bernie Sanders call it transformative to the American society is because it is. I've been sort of, you can track back, you could go back to Obamacare, you could even go back to the Great Society under Lyndon Johnson. But we've been witnessing what I call the Europeification of America, right? So look at France, look at England. I would consider both of them once great nations. Not so much anymore. They have a tremendous burden of, of social benefit net that has zapped 
the uh, the enthusiasm and economic creativity in both countries um, and in other countries as well that adopted the exact policies that we're looking at in this three and a half trillion. You want to take care of people from the cradle to the grave. You are going to zap their economic incentive. In And the other thing I would urge people to look at in this three and a half trillion dollar bill, he talks about building back better, the president, right? You cannot build back better. There's not a single incentive to a small business owner to buy a new piece of equipment, to reopen the doors of their business, to to hire people to come to work at their company. There's not a single business incentive in here. It's handout, 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 handout. It zaps people's desire to build back America in a way that would be so powerful. Regulations, tax, you know, give us one thing where you go, okay, small business, I know you shut down during during COVID, we're going to give you a tax incentive to reopen. We're going to give you tax incentives to buy new equipment, to expand your store, to rent a place, to do whatever. Nothing. Nothing. I don't know how you build back better if you don't have business incentives. I think that's a great point. See, America doesn't want put, uh, their life predicted. They want the freedom to uh, pursue their goals. And the economic burden zaps that initiative, uh, zaps that uh, the creativity and desire needed to be needed necessary. But it's never talked about anymore. Remember we no, used to say in the that's 80s. That's so scary. When they came up with Wall Street and Michael Douglas would be doing this movie and it's famous. It goes, greed is good. Now, there's, there's problems with that. Without ethics, greed is not good. But when you pursue wealth and success, you bring people with you because you Absolutely. can't do it alone. You train managers and people to help you and you help them. And they go out on their own. How many people, how many successful people, and I don't have the answer to this, were born out of watching Steve Jobs in action? He put the best people in place to go out on their own. It's and exhilarating. Amazon, it's, yeah. it's exciting. It's, there's no boundaries to what you can build in this country They're if you want to create a company. But nobody talks about businesses, business owners. That's the engine of America. And how, I mean, I know I'm not alone when I say that, like, every business I walked into over the course of this summer apologized. I'm sorry, we don't have enough people working here. I'm sorry, we don't have, you know, we, we can't, we, we, you know, we, we don't have anybody in the, we have the three people in the kitchen. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking, right? And it's because people are getting paid too much and they want to stay home. Who can blame them? But when you do that to people, you take away their, their, their inspiration, you take away their, their skills, uh, atrophy over time and they get used to it. And it's, it's a big problem. All right. Uh, Martha McCallum, wonderfully put. When we come back, we'll find out if there's a need to know more. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Try to follow me on this, uh, Martha McCallum. This happened at a Miami Marlins game. They were chanting what many people thought was the N-word, but it was actually the name of their mascot. And the person at bat was African-American and is Lewis Brinson. And he called for a change in the mascot's name because originally they called for the guy who was screaming out what they thought was the N-word. Instead of the word digger, they thought it was something else. So for 15, 16 hours, 
Brinson was going after this one fan, and all of baseball was going after the Sun fan. He was going to be banned forever. And it turns out they watched it. He said, I was talking to the mascot, and after many uh, interviews, they realized they should probably change the mascot's name. This is, and this has never been a problem before. They've been chanting this for a long time, and this time it was misheard. I think it's part of the reason is because nobody goes to their games. Ah, well, and that could so be part empty. of it. And when you scream for the mascot, and that should be heard at home plate, but it was, it was Dinger uh, that he was screaming for. He was trying to get his attention to get a picture. Oh. Brinson said, I continually, uh, I personally, this is, again, my personal opinion. I personally keep hearing the N-word. It's not that I want to hear it. I never want to hear it. Personally, I've never been called that in person to my face. Uh, on the baseball field, outside the baseball field, ever so I do know what my reaction would be if I got called that. But to now say, again, I haven't talked to the Rockies for that fan personally. If that's the case and they were calling the mascot, I'm sorry for the backlash. I, I, Just a lose, lose, I, I, lose I, I, story. Yeah, I, and ESPN I, I, went to town on this story. Oh, that's, that's, that's awful. Awful. All right. Uh, Google has rolled out a pay calculator explaining work from home cuts. Google has rolled out a new internal calculator to help their employees. Screenshots obtained by Reuters show that Google's employees who previously commuted an hour to Google's Manhattan offices will, only, will earn 15% less, and they'll do something like that. Is that fair? If they don't come in to New York, they're going to earn 15% less? Less. Well, it depends on where you live. I mean, if you live in New Jersey, you're probably life is probably not Should that much cheaper Should you get paid less you. not to go to work? Um, yeah, I, I'm not against that in a, as a concept. I think it's going to be very difficult to calibrate. Next, the Yankees will play the White Sox in Iowa on the very field of Field this. of Dreams I know. that Are Kevin Costner made famous. I am not going. Will Kane is going. Ew, you should Will tap an him going. at 3 o'clock. You, if they build it, if, you will, if we build it, they will come. Will Kane I will love come. that movie. If, it was fan, it's, it's probably my one of my favorites, it's top such three. It's a good movie. Yep. By the way, watch Martha today. You will love our show. Will this story be included in that? Uh, I don't know, but we're gonna. We have a really good Great White Shark story, and we have Jack Keane, and we have Caitlyn Jenner. Three p.m. Martha McCall. Martha, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.